One of the great joys that we have as followers of Christ is that we get to share what God has done in our heart and life with people all around us. And one of the beautiful things that that happens, especially in, in this city, is we have the opportunity and the freedom to be able to share on the streets and um, in the public square to be able to tell people about Jesus and the hope that we have in Him. And so we have a, a training event and an outreach event coming up uh, in two weeks that Steiger is putting on. And so I'm going to show you a video clip first, and I'll give you a little bit more information. And then I have one, one more announcement as well. So let's play the, the video clip from Steiger and, uh, on, that'll tell you a little bit about this outreach. It spans the globe like a superhighway. It is called Internet. We live in a time of unprecedented connectedness. Mass media, economic strategies, and above all, the internet have eroded cultural boundaries. Young people today are more similar than ever, making up a truly global youth culture. They can point and click their way across the ocean. The religion of the global youth culture is secular humanism, which says that God has been replaced, man is at the center, and there is no outside authority that can tell me how to live my life. On the surface, this generation believes there is no absolute truth and therefore no universal morality. Everyone is free to choose for themselves what is right and what is wrong. In reality, certain values are dogmatically defended and those unwilling to conform will be canceled. We are told that the key to happiness is found within. Just follow your dreams. Don't let anyone tell you who you are or what you want. Take care of yourself above all else. This may sound liberating, but we are anything but free. We have grown up in a world dominated by video games, pornography, and social media. These industries spend billions of dollars working around the clock with the sole purpose of making their content more and more addictive. And it's working. We spend hours a day interacting in virtual worlds, trying to live up to the carefully curated lives of pop stars and internet influencers that we follow online. This is leading to an epidemic of loneliness, anxiety, depression, and suicide. Without a moral compass, an anything goes attitude has been adopted when it comes to sexuality. Sex is meaningless, gender a personal choice, monogamy a joke. But it's not all bad. There is hope. This generation is passionate about injustice. They care about the oppressed and the marginalized. They want to use their lives to make a difference in the world. A commitment to tolerance has made them open to spiritual conversations, which can be an opportunity to share the gospel. On top of that, the internet has made it possible to reach millions of people instantly. Social media is being used to share the gospel in places previously impossible to reach. If we are gonna reach the global youth culture, we have to understand the unique challenges that they are facing and how we can best respond. It starts by recognizing the large cultural gap that exists between the church and this global generation. In order for us to reach them, we need to go to their places and learn how to communicate with them in a way they will understand. Most importantly, this cannot just be a trend to study or statistics to analyze. These are our brothers, our sisters, our sons and daughters, friends and coworkers. Our heart needs to break for them. Things might seem bad, but there is hope. God is greater than the problems facing the global youth culture. And if we ask him, he will use our lives to reach them. That gives you a little glint. Yeah, you can woo. 
Woo. There you go. Woo. We, we like woo. Um, here's the thing. That's the heart of Steiger. They're focused in on, on youth, and the training and the target is youth, but it's a human condition. It's a human need. And I want you, I want you to think, we've just gone through a year plus of isolation. People are hungry for authentic relationships. And so if we look at this from a, from a standpoint of what God is doing in preparing hearts, we have a unique opportunity in the upcoming season to be able to connect with people. If you want to find out more about this, you can send me an email or the office an email, but it's a great opportunity for training. And it's a great opportunity to share our faith. And so the most important thing, I want you to commit to praying that God will do great things in the midst of this. And here's the thing, if you pray that, there's a, there's a part that has to go with it. So would you do great things and would you use me? He wants to use each and one, every, every one of us. So that's coming up in two weeks. It's going to be fantastic. And so, yeah, that's a woo. That's definitely a, a, a woo-hoo, even. I don't, yeah, uh, sorry. Stop, stop. Yeah, stop, stop. All right, if you're interested in baptism or you have questions about that or in, in membership, would you send me an email or catch me after the service? We would love to have that opportunity to, to allow you to share your story and you to take that step of obedience. All right, today we are continuing our Pathways series. And the focus today is on discerning the right path, learning to listen to the Lord's voice. God has invited us into a relationship with him that in order to live the way he calls us to live, we need to be continually connected. We need to be connected to his word. We need to be listening to his Holy Spirit. And we need to be able to discern right from wrong in every aspect of what we do. The psalmist says this in Psalm 16, 8. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. David, as he writes these words, is recognizing that the Lord is right in front of him and he is choosing to follow him. But in order to follow him, he knows he has to be connected. And when he is connected, when he is listening to the Lord's voice, when he is following what the Lord tells him, he cannot be shaken. That's the great promise that we have. But in order for us to stay connected, we need to, to listen. And we need to ask the Lord, not just about the big decisions in our life, but moment by moment, questions like this. Father, what do you desire of me right now? I don't know how often you pray that, but I want to encourage you to make that a habit that you do continually throughout the day. To enter into conversation with the Lord where you're listening and expectant that he is speaking and that he is speaking in a way that you can understand and a way that you can obey. You see, that's exactly what Jesus did. That's the life that he lived. He calls us to abide in him, to, to be connected with him, because that's how he lived. He was continually connected to the Father. He surrendered his will constantly to the will of the Father. And that's what he invites us to do. Before we get into our main passage, I just want to remind you that when Jesus calls us to follow, he doesn't call us necessarily to comfort in fact, he calls us to a crucified life. Do you remember what he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24? 
Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, wants to follow me, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Following God brings incredible reward. But it's not about us. It's all about him. And when we surrender ourselves to him, when we deny ourselves, when we deny the things that we want in order to pursue what he wants, then we find great joy and great comfort. Well, today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in John chapter 10 where Jesus is teaching us about listening to his voice. And the setting is one that occurs after some conflict between Jesus and some of the religious leaders of his day. And we'll unpack a little bit of that here in just a moment. But I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're going to look uh, at the first uh, 18 verses. And I'll be honest, I'll probably not finish today. Um, I know that's shocking to some of you. Um, but to those it's not, you just you keep meditating on this and we'll unpack more of it um, next week as well. But in order to set the stage, in order for us to kind of get the sense of the illustration that Jesus is portraying here, we're going to look at the Luma Project, their uh, reading of this word from the NIV version in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. So let's put this on the screen and let's listen to the Lord's word together. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. 
I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus is talking about how we're to learn to listen to his voice, and that if, we're, if we belong to him, we will hear his voice. But he's also warning us that there are competing voices that are seeking to direct our path. And he uses those here in his illustration. He talks about the thief, the one who's coming in to consume and destroy and steal the sheep, and the hired hand who's simply interested in getting his own wants met. Jesus is contrasting these things. And if we look at it in context, if you were to back up into to chapter 9, you'd see that there's been this conflict between the religious leaders of his day and what Jesus was doing, and they just didn't get it. They didn't understand, although they themselves considered them to be, themselves to be spiritually elite. They had reached a point in their life, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, where they looked down on others as if they were not quite able to measure up to their spirituality, to their knowledge, to their understanding. And in the midst of that setting, Jesus gives this illustration. But here's something to remember. Jesus is the author of the whole Bible. And oftentimes what we discover is when we see an illustration like this is that there is a backstory somewhere else in the scripture that will help illuminate this passage and bring it to life in an even more powerful way. The image of God as a shepherd permeates the scripture. We see it first back in Genesis chapter 48, verse 15. We see it oftentimes in the Psalms. Certainly Psalm 23 is filled with that imagery of, of the shepherd. But the passage that talks about the good shepherd, about God being our shepherd, is a passage of scripture in the book of Ezekiel. And I want to invite you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 34 because we're going to look at the backstory first. I think it's appropriate considering where we are as a church and the transition ahead that we examine this passage. But I do so with an admission. Ezekiel chapter 34 is the most convicting chapter in the scripture for me in the calling that God has given me as a pastor. Every time I read it, I recognize how far short I come to God's expectation of a spiritual leader. Oftentimes when we, when we examine, we're, when we're thinking about roles like a, a pastor or an elder or a spiritual leader, we look at the qualifications that we see in the New Testament in, in Timothy and in Titus, and those are important passages of Scripture that show us the character of what a shepherd, or what an elder, what a spiritual leader should look like. But Ezekiel 34 shows us the heart action, the things that shepherds are actually supposed to do. And it does so with the qualification that those who do not pursue those things, God himself is against them. That's why I say for me it's a very sobering passage 
But I want to encourage us as, as you pray for the church, as you pray for the elders and for the leaders, as you pray for the search team that will be formed, that you pray this passage, that you use this to guide you. Because here's, here's the thing. Here's the great news. Becky and I are very convinced that the chapter ahead as ICP moves forward will be even more fruitful, more blessed. The Lord will do greater and more wonderful things than he's ever done in the past. And we're praying that God's anointing upon that next pastor will be twice as much or four times as much as what it's been in the past because he has great plans for this church that he loves so much. And I believe with all my heart that he is going to do great things. So let's look at this passage in Ezekiel chapter 34 and see what God himself has to say about shepherds. Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. The first warning that, that God gives there is to understand that to be a spiritual leader is not about yourself. If it's about you, you're not a spiritual leader. They need to be focused in on the Lord and on his flock. And he says, whoa. When he uses the word woe, he's saying, you need to take this warning seriously. You need to listen to what I'm saying. You need to allow me to examine your heart right now. He goes on and says, should not shepherds take care of the flock? And yet, here's what the spiritual leaders of, of the day were doing. You eat the curds and clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. In other words, they were making money off of their position to the, to the expense of the flock. They were seeking their own prosperity rather than the benefit and blessing of God's people. He goes on in verse 4 and says, You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they are scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. God values unity amongst his people because he recognizes how dangerous it is when division comes into the church, when it comes into his people and people are scattered. They become more vulnerable to the enemy. Verse 6, he says, My sheep wandered all over the mountain and on every high hill, and they were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and has so been plundered and has become food for the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but care for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. 
Those are sobering words to me because the scripture tells us repeatedly that I have a spiritual accountability for you. The way that I live, the things that I teach, I'm accountable for as a shepherd. And I take that seriously. Because lives, eternity is at stake. You need to be praying, especially for your next pastor, that the Lord will empower them and strengthen them in this way and enable them to be exactly what it's going to describe in a few more verses. The sovereign Lord says, I'm against the shepherds and hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and will no longer be food for them. That's the background behind what Jesus is saying in John chapter 10. He's saying that this is what was happening in his day amongst the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, who had great biblical knowledge but had very little love. They didn't care about God's people. And so God says he's against them. And Jesus, the reason Jesus speaks so harshly against the religious leaders of his day is he realizes that they are the ones who are most able to lead his people farther away from intimacy and understanding of who God truly is. And so God takes this very seriously. But that's not the end of the story. God steps in. Look at verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so, I, well, excuse me, so will I look after my sheep. And I want you to look at all the I will statements here because these are God's promises to you and to me. Because this is a picture of the good shepherd. This is exactly what Jesus Christ came to do. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered. On the day of clouds and darkness, I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements in the lands. I will tend them in good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down. It means I will give them peace, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost. I will bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. That is our good shepherd. And here's the thing, you and I are in there. Maybe today you feel brokenhearted. Maybe today you feel lost. Maybe you feel like you've gone astray. Here's the great news. Uh, the great news of the, of the Bible is that God is searching and pursuing you. He personally is seeking you out because he loves you, because he cares for you. He knows what you've been through. And, and it's, he says, what I love about this is that he's, he's looking in the last places we would expect. 
He says, I recognize you've been scattered all over. And that doesn't just mean geographically, but where we are scattered spiritually, God is pursuing us because he is a good shepherd. You see, this passage is what's behind so many of Jesus' teaching. When he talks about in, in Luke chapter 15, when he says that the shepherd will leave the 99 sheep and go look for the lost one, this is showing the heart of God for you and for me, the way he pursues us, the way he loves us. It's also a picture of what a shepherd, a pastor should be. And so these are the, the things that God continually places on my heart and the areas where I know I fall so short, where I pray he will equip more and more and pray that he will do even greater things in the days ahead here at ICP. These are God's expectations of a shepherd. Verse 14, they should feed them with good pasture. A pastor must faithfully equip people to discover, love, and feast on God's word for themselves. The preaching ministry is incredibly important, but it also must be followed up with equipping them to be able to immerse themselves in God's word to learn it, to study it on their own, and to examine if the things that are being said are true. Verse 15, God says, I myself will be their shepherd. The central characteristic of a pastor should be a humble, hands-on servant. Being a shepherd in the first century was not an honorable position. In fact, a shepherd generally, because of the work that they did, usually couldn't even go to the temple. They were considered unclean by the religious people, by the leaders. And yet God says, that's who I'll become for you. I will humble myself and serve your need because I love you. This is our good shepherd. This is Jesus, and it's beautiful. Verses 14 and 15 says, make them lie down in rich pastures, a, a spiritual leader, a pastor who's going to follow after the good shepherd, after Jesus, should develop an atmosphere of security and nurture in the church, equipping people to live the truth of God's word, both individually and corporately. The church should be a safe place for mistakes, for forgiveness, and for repentance where it can occur. And recognize that we need to learn from one another. Because the truth is, we're, including the shepherds, we're also all sheep. And I don't know if you know anything about sheep, their number one quality is they wander, they get lost. You leave a sheep on its own and it will go, you know, to the last, <laughs> the last place you expect. This was so beautifully illustrated to me this week at Tesco. <laughs> because there was this, there was this like two and a half year old who was everywhere in the store. I mean, and you would just watch mom and dad chasing this child, and they get the child cornered, and, and they th think they have him, and then they turn to look at something there on the shelf, and pew, I mean, it would just took off like a rocket and would be all the way on the other side of the store. The reason I knew it was on the other side of the store is you could hear the screams, you know? I mean, just everywhere. He was wandering all over the place. And it was such a great picture of us spiritually, because that's what we do. We wander 
on our own. We get ideas in our head that are from ourselves or from some other place, and, and we chase after them instead of surrendering and saying, Lord, what do you want to do? What is your will? What is your purpose? But God, the good shepherd, chases after us. Verse 16 says that our responsibility as a church and as leaders is to seek the lost. A pastor must lead in connecting with lost people and developing opportunities to share the hope that we have in Christ. We should equip and inspire people to share their faith gracefully with others. To reach our communities, though, we have to be a part of them. We have to grow and be intentional about meeting and forming relationships with other people. That's been really hard during COVID. But now the opportunity, the door is open again. Verse 16, he says, bring back the strayed. Spiritual leaders should take the lead in the ministry of reconciliation, developing an environment of grace and truth. We must remember that discipleship is a process of growth that takes time. The Holy Spirit is working in each believer, convicting, teaching, and refining them into the likeness of Jesus. But we need to be intentional about seeking those who've wandered. Verse 16 says to bind up the injured. And the idea, the picture here is to care for them as a physician, to walk with them through the hurts, through the pain, through the sickness, through the difficulty, to be there as a comfort with them. It's not just about their physical recovery, it's about companionship in the midst of pain. That's what God calls us to. You see, this message is a message to, to shepherds, to leaders, but each and every one of us have been called. We have been predestined to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And so this is also the mission of each and every believer. We have different levels of accountability, but we have the same mission to do this for others. Verse 16 also says that God says he will feed them in justice. He's against those who are prideful, who are slick, but he is for those who are vulnerable. As a leader of God's people, the church should be a refuge of protection for the vulnerable in our communities. A pastor should lovingly lead and equip people to effectively serve those in need, both in the church and within the community. But also like Jesus, the good shepherd, we must protect the flock from false teaching and the deception of the enemy who seeks to destroy people and lead them into bondage. All that is the background of John 10. It is God's heart for what a shepherd should be. It is who the good shepherd Jesus Christ is and it is the reason why he speaks so harshly against the false religious leaders of his day who were leading people farther away from the Lord because of their own spiritual pride. So with that background, let's take just a couple of moments and let's say, okay, now, understanding that's what's happening in the background of what Jesus is teaching, how do we learn to listen to his voice? John 10, beginning of verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. 
And he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus is setting the stage right there to say there's only one way to the Father. There's only one way to a relationship with God, and that is through the door, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the doorway. And God's voice will always point to Jesus. If we're hearing something and it's not pointing people to Jesus, we need to be very careful about whether that's truly God speaking or us hearing an echo of our own voice or the voice of the enemy. God's voice will always point to Jesus. As Jesus said, the only way to the Father is through him. And he is calling us to himself. This is a, a preview of what Jesus would say in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He's saying, I'm the connecting point. I don't, it doesn't matter how far away you've strayed. doesn't matter how bad you feel like you've messed up. I am knocking right now on the door of your heart and simply saying, would you come to me? And I will lead you in to God's people and into God's presence. That's what Jesus the door does. With that, we need to understand that God's voice, when God speaks, if we're to discern the right path and distinguish between those things which are false, those things which were simply a hollow religion, and that which is truly the Lord speaking, we need to understand that God's voice will always match Jesus' character, Jesus commands, Jesus' mission, and his heart. Each one of those things will be a part of it. Jesus will speak his character to make us more like him. That's why he uses trials and he uses difficulty to refine us. Jesus, the scripture says Jesus proved his perfection, his obedience through his suffering. Should we expect something different? If we're to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow Christ, we need to recognize that there will be challenges, but this world is not our home. Being comfortable here and now or your best life now is a lie of the enemy. That is not what God calls us to. He calls us to something greater, to live for his glory so that we may celebrate the greatness and goodness of who he is for all eternity and then we'll discover that the sufferings of this world, the problems, the sickness, the difficulties, the poverty, the brokenness, that they are nothing to be compared to the greatness that will be revealed by his presence. Amen. That's what he calls us to. Secondly, I'm going to start to preach if I'm not careful. Secondly, Jesus will speak his written word to remind us of his commands and his promises. This is why it's so important for us to spend time in God's word every single day. And, and, and let me just say, it's more important for you to take a passage and, and, and chew on it slowly than it is to necessarily try to get through great passages or books or you read through the Bible. It's great if you read through the Bible every year. That's fantastic. But make sure that you're taking pieces and you're thinking about them and you're comparing them to other passages and you're allowing them to sink into your heart so that you can truly know what the Lord is saying. 
Thirdly, Jesus will always speak his mission into our hearts and into our minds to redirect our priorities to his purpose and his plan. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. And to show us the Father. Do you know what our mission is? It's to show others Jesus so that he can show them the Father. That's our mission. Fourthly, Jesus will speak his heart to us, call us calling us to give grace to all people and to build unity among believers. Remember, God is, is against the shepherds that scatter the flock, those who bring division into the, into the church, into God's people. He's against them because he wants to unify his people because that declares the greatness of who he is. And finally, uh, Jesus' voice will always match the full revelation of his word. Jesus will remind us to live by the full counsel of his word because we have to be incredibly careful. If you remember, in Jesus' temptation, when Satan comes to him, he uses the Bible to tempt Jesus. He tried to get him to, knowing that he was the bread of life, that he was the bread that came down of heaven, to command the stones to be made bread. And what did Jesus answer him? He said in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What he's saying is you need to know the fullness of Scripture in order to make sure that you are applying it correctly. And as I've told you many times, sometimes the passages that seem like they're in contradiction are there to give us balance and understanding so that we're not led astray. We need to know the full counsel of the Lord. And as we do, we discover that it is that that builds up the body, that strengthens our unity, that helps us understand one another and gives us a clearer picture of God himself. All right, well, let me do a couple more of them here before, because it's going to get good. I only have one more page and I'm going to stop. Okay, I have five more pages, but I'm going to stop after one more page, okay? Verse three. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. This week, would you take those two verses and either write them out or copy them, paste them into a note in your phone and meditate on them throughout this week? Because these two little verses are filled with promises for you and for me. The first one is Jesus calls you by name. Did you see what it says there? This means he knows everything about you. And he has called you, not just in a generic way, he has called you saying your name. He is calling you to himself. This is a reflection of what we see in Isaiah 43 where it says, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. That's what, the exact thing that Jesus is saying to each and every one of us. Now you may not like the imagery that he's doing this, calling you a sheep, but that's who you are. So just embrace it. Okay, you're dirty, you're messy, you wander off. That's who we are. And God says, but you're my sheep and I know your name and I love you and I have good things for you. So he calls us by name. 
Here's a truth. Here's a truth that you, you need to hold on to. The enemy knows your name, but calls you by your sin and your failure. Jesus knows all of our sin, all of our failures, every time that we've disappointed, and he calls us by name. He calls you to become the masterpiece he, he saved you to be, and he promises to lead you and to lead me if we will listen to his voice. That's good news. He doesn't call us by our failures, by our sin. He calls us by name. And next with that, he, he says, he calls his own sheep by name, and then he says he leads them out. Jesus promises in these two little verses to lead you. If you need direction for your life, the promise is right there in John chapter 10, verses three and four, that he promises to lead you. And so we can pray to the Lord and say, Lord, you promised to lead me. Help me to hear your voice accurately and enable me to follow you because I believe you will lead me. You will give me direction. And here's the thing. Most of us, when we face major decisions, we become diligent about seeking God's will. We may pray things like, Lord, who do you want me to marry? Or, Lord, what job do you want me to take? Or, where do you want me to live? What house do you want me to buy? Or, a flat do you want me to rent? All those are good things. But real life, abundant life, is found when we're doing that moment by moment with the little things. Saying, Lord, would you lead me in the midst of this? Show me someone you want me to talk to today or to encourage or to bless or to reach out to. Show me how I can be your hands and feet and your voice. We need to learn to listen continually to his voice because God is speaking. You see, that's the promise here. His promise is that he is speaking. And it isn't that we might hear his voice. He says that we will. If we belong to him, we will hear him. Not in an audible way, but speaking into our spirits. So let me close with this. Learning to listen to God's voice. Let me, uh, let me give you these points, and it's the word listen. This will help us grow in listening. And we'll spring from this into what he teaches then on listening to the Holy Spirit next week. Here's how to listen for God's voice. First of all, the L. Look to know God more than his answers. It begins with the heart. It's so often we're so driven by wanting to escape the challenge that we're in that we rarely step beyond it and seek to know him personally. If we want to hear his voice, it's a relationship. We need to look to know God more than his answers. The I is invite God to speak to you from his word and then spend time reading it and meditating on it. If you're not hearing God, chances are you're not listening. So we need to invite him to speak and then follow up that invitation by showing up and spending time in his word. The S is stillness is required for listening. And this is so hard in our world today. Slow down and meditate on a passage. The T is test what you hear with other scriptures and with wise counsel. Just because you have an impression in your mind doesn't mean that it's from the Lord. Remember, Jesus is setting this in the midst of competing voices. 
recognizing that there's a thief that's seeking to destroy and there's a hired hand who is only concerned about himself. Just within that context, there are at least three voices that are speaking in competition against the Lord. Our own voice, our sinful nature, the voice of the enemy, and the voice of the world. It's simply set on themselves. So we need to test what we hear with other scriptures and with wise counsel. The E is expect, expect God to speak. Remember, faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. If we expect him to speak, we've got to spend time in his word. And then the N is now obey what he has told you to do out of love and trust the Holy Spirit to help you. Here's what he says just a couple of pages over in John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. God gives the Holy Spirit to enable us to live out and obey what he tells us to do. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way you have pursued us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the good shepherd that you've laid down your life for the sheep and you've called us to a sacrificial living as well in which we are to follow your example in laying down our life, denying ourselves in order to follow you. Lord, we need to hear from you. And so to each and every person here, Lord, would you speak into their heart? Would you enable us to slow down Lord, would you give us clarity and discernment to be able to know your voice and distinguish it from the voice of our own nature, the voice of the enemy, and the voice of the world. And Lord, would you show us through your word what you want to speak to us. Lord, I know in my own life so often I am guilty of telling you what I want to hear. Lord, forgive me of that. Instead, help us to do just the opposite and say like Samuel, I am here, Lord. Please speak. Lord, this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.